I'd like to uh, speak to you for a few minutes this morning <laughs> uh, regarding the Spirit of Christ. This is uh, something that I've, I've strived all, all of my life to try to keep uh, in my prayer request for Livingstone's Church, each and every one of us. And that prayer is that we would all live our lives reflecting the Lord God Almighty and Jesus Christ in our life. And that we would do this throughout our day, every single day. That it wouldn't be just when we come together like this, but as we get ready for our work, work week or whatever we're planning, that we would put God first in our lives. I'd like to share with you um, a scripture, uh, Romans 8, uh, starting with verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share his, in his suffering in order that we might also share in his glory. I, I put together a few of the characteristics that I thought we all need to exemplify in our lives, and they, they're as follows. First of all, humility. We see in, in uh, Philippians, the second chapter, verses 5 through 8, where Jesus gave up uh, his equality with God when he came to, to, to this earth, and he became a slave. Second, the tenderness of Christ. In John, the eighth chapter, verses 1 through 11, we see the story of the woman that was caught in adultery. And, of course, under the Jewish law, she was condemned to be stoned. And if you recall this beautiful uh, story, Jesus, he bends down on the ground and starts to write. Then he rises and he turns to this mob and he said, whoever is without sin, throw the first stone. Forgiveness. In, in Mark, the 14th chapter, verse 30, we see one of, the, one of the greatest of the apostles, Peter, who denied Christ. Not once, but three times. And we also see in Mark 16, 7, when the women came to the tomb and the stone was rolled away, that the angel said, don't, don't worry, he has risen. Go tell the disciples, and this one thing is beautiful, and Peter, that I will meet them at, at the, on the coast of Galilee. Obedience. Hebrews 5, 8 tells us, that Jesus was obedient to God, his purpose for coming to earth. Number five, love. One of my favorite books in the, in the New Testament is 1 John. And in 1 John 4, 7 through 21, it talks about that God is love. And if you look, jump back to Genesis, you will read that God made us in his own image. So consequently, if we're made in God's image, we're called to love one another. We're called to love this, this uh, brethren 
as, as we go out and try to make disciples, um, in number six, he suffered. Uh, in John, the 19th chapter, 17 through uh, verse 30, we read about the things that Jesus underwent. In the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he struggled and prayed to God that this cup might pass from him. He also, we see in John, uh, that he, the struggles that he endured in the punishment before he went to the cross and then upon the cross. And then number seven, trust. John 5.30 says that Jesus was dependent upon the Father. And so often we, as we try to live our lives, we want to be dependent upon our own selves. We need to turn to God. And then the eighth thing, the characteristic I had, is missionary. Jesus told his disciples himself in Mark 16, verses 15 through 16, that he was given us the direction, the great commission, to go into the world and preach the gospel. Now we might pause there and say, well, this is for those that are uh, equipped, been to school to study, and I say no. He's talking to each and every one of us. He has gifted us with community. And in that arena, we have the opportunity uh, to uh, be a missionary for, for Christ. I read not long ago a wonderful illustration uh, that uh, was by Bob Benson down in Nashville. And it goes like this. Uh, it's talking about a shirt or a blouse it says, get the first button right, and all the others will be in line. Get the first button wrong, and you're lopsided. Things are out of, out of order. I think some things that in our Christian walk are the same way. We need to get the first things first in our Christian walk. What I mean by that? is that if we get the first things first, the, those that we need to get a as a foundation, then all of our life will, will be in alignment with what God wants. Jesus himself spoke to us and said in Matthew 6, verses 25 through 33, he tells us that we are to seek the kingdom and his righteousness, and everything else in our lives will be placed in order. Here's our question. Here's my question to myself and for, for you guys as well. Are our lives somewhat, somewhat askew, out of alignment, out of balance? Should we be asking ourselves this important question? Is God and the Lord Jesus first in our lives? My prayer is that we all seek to keep uh, our lives in focus. And one way to do that, I'd like to read this last scripture, and that's from James, the fourth chapter, and it, uh, starting in verse 6, and it says, But he gives us most, more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Hear this? 
Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He says, draw near to God, and he will come near to us, come near to you. This is our prayer. This is our prayer as a leadership, that we submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and seek God. Good morning, Living Stones. Uh, how many of you enjoy going to Mechanic? Anybody like to go to Mechanic? Not a hand's going to raise their hand. <laughs> Nobody's going to say, they've got one back there. Yeah, right. Um, nobody loves going to the Mechanic because that means that something is wrong with your car, and the something is wrong with your car is going to um, rob your bank account. I mean, <laughs> it's going to cost you a lot of money. It's like going to the dentist. Like if I, and I don't think anybody in here loves going to the dentist. I'm sorry if you're a mechanic or a dentist. I don't mean to slight you at all. Um, but going to mechanic is not one of my favorite places to go. Uh, I used to own a uh, Volkswagen Beetle, 1972 Super Beetle. I loved that car. I loved that car. But I hated that car at the same time because that car constantly sent me to the mechanic that I hated to go to, and I was constantly putting money into that car. Uh, years ago, you probably saw it out here, and we did trick or trunk, uh, sell or, or give out candy out of that trunk. Uh, but finally, I had to get rid of that because it was just a money pit for me. You know, where I, you know what I'm talking about. Many of you have that, that same experience. It's constantly in the shop. I don't like the mechanic, but I do like my mechanic. I have a really good mechanic. He's a great guy. His name is Scott. He has a shop up in Niles. And the reason why I love Scott is because Scott, through his job, through his vocation, showed, shows all of us Jesus. He was a man of integrity, a man of integrity. He was not ashamed to live his life in a way that demonstrated Jesus. He didn't overtly talk about Jesus, but you knew that there was something about him that set him apart from others, that set him apart Jesus walked and worked through his life. He was fair in all, all that he did. And, and even beyond that, uh, I see, I've seen him recently with taking on one of our alumni with an impact as a mentor. He, he is a mentor and takes on apprentices that, that see Jesus demonstrated in his life. As you demonstrate the mind of Christ, as Randy spoke about just a little while ago, as you are hinged to the body of Christ, as we're going to be talking about throughout this series, serving Jesus Christ in the world, Paul says this. In, in 2 Timothy, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For the Spirit of God, gave, the Spirit God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and his grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, which points back to creation. But it, is, it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. 
That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard that which I have committed to him until that day. The encouragement from this scripture from Paul to Timothy is it doesn't matter how you that you feel like whether you're an expert or not in something it's just live your life do not be ashamed of the story that God is writing in you right now but live it out loud so that people hear that message in the way that you live your life share the message but don't just speak it in words be the message be the message of Jesus as you live your life and let God live through you He's such a stinking hard act to follow. But I love him, though. I love him. Volunteering is great fun. Wherever I've gone to church, I've always started out being a greeter. I figured that was how I could meet the most people in the shortest amount of time. It's a wonderful way to get you out of the comfort of coming into church, sitting by yourself, and leaving without bothering a single soul. Is it easier to sit and hide? Sure. But here at Living Stones, we volunteer because that's how we grow. I love folks who keep moving their comfort zone. So what might be next? Groups, of course. I admit it. Walking into a strange house by yourself and mingling with people you know only because you squeeze their hand once a month isn't my idea of great fun. Oh, and did I mention the icebreaker? Ouch. I remember my very first group. I had Chuck Barrington in it. He had been a pastor at Livingstones and currently an elder and worked for the IRS. Now that's scary. <laughs> I didn't talk for a month. But I watched and I listened and I learned from the best because that's how we grow. And after participating in a few groups, I got the call. You know, the one when someone calls to ask you to do something you're certain they meant for someone else to do. Well, then you start to ask yourself the question, can I do this? I have no trouble going to a new venue. I like meeting new people. I readily share in group, and my hands no longer sweat when Jeff Gritton tells me what the new icebreaker is. But lead a group? I don't know. But I said yes. I remember the first group I led. We read and discussed Mark Batterson's book, The Wild Goose Chase. I love that book. It's a challenging book. And it was a challenging group, too. Because, you see, one of the attendees was none other than Sam Barrington. My first group, the pastor, are you kidding me? But that's how we grow. And now this year I get to be the one who challenges the guys in my group. I'm doing the same type of group this time around that I did last year. The topic is the same. The material is the same. And even a few men want to do it again with me. The difference is that this time around I've asked them if they'd like to help me lead the group. They are awesome men who have done the hard work and are now ready to pour their life into others. 
Are they nervous? Probably a little bit. But they've said yes because they know that's how we grow. And the same goes for the men in Celebrate Recovery on Monday evenings. There are many men who come week after week. Some of them come here to church, and many don't. Some are extremely faithful and have allowed God to change their hearts and their lives. And because of that, the lives of their families as well. Now they too lead on Monday because that's how we grow. So let me ask you the same questions. Have you allowed God to change your heart and your life? Do you volunteer? Have you joined a group? Did Angie or your group leader ask you to lead a group? My prayer is that each of us will look more like Jesus in December than we did in January. Because after all, that's why we grow. Well, you're probably detecting a theme here, and it's service. When we choose to go out and serve, when we serve others, most times we never know the impact that we have on those we're serving. Of course, the person I believe that it impacts the most is the individual serving. By humbling ourselves and being willing to serve, we become strong as our selfishness diminishes. And the power of the Holy Spirit gives us strength and confidence. There was a small group uh, in a church in Kentucky who decided that they were going to meet a couple mornings a week, a month, excuse me, a couple Saturday mornings a month. And uh, their goal was just to go out and serve others. They did this because they truly loved other people, and it was just a, a way in which they could um, display. They're the love of Christ by going out and serving others. So on this particular morning, they uh, went to a gentleman's club that was closed, of course, on a Saturday morning. And they went in and uh, solicited the owner and said, hey, we're just here to clean your dressing room and your, and your bathroom just because we want to. It seemed like a strange request, but they wanted to show the love of Christ by being willing to something that doing something that no one else really wanted to do. So the group split up. The men went to the men's side. The women went to the women's side. And uh, they did. Uh, they were doing their cleaning. And while the women were finishing up in their side of the restroom, dressing room, one of the dancers walked in, wandered in, and she stopped dead in her tracks when she saw these strange women in her dressing room. And she turned on her heels and was ready to leave. And one of the women in the group stopped her. And they said, no, stop. We're just finishing up. You don't need to leave. And she said, well, why are you here? And one of the women from the church uh, went up to her and explained to her that they're just, uh, their goal is to go out and serve the community. And that's what they're doing this morning. And they selected this particular business and these restrooms and uh, dressing rooms to to show their love. And she said, in fact, here's a card from our church, and uh, have a great day. So the dancer quickly put the card in her purse and gave an awkward thank you, and the small group left for the day and wished her well. Two weeks later, the same dancer's co-worker and best friend was murdered. The dancer was beside herself, and she did not, she didn't know where to turn. She tried to find comfort, and uh, she tossed and turned all night long. In the middle of the night, she remembered 
the group of women in her dressing room. And she went and got her purse, and she dug through her purse, and sure enough, she found that card. She got up the next morning, and she found that church, hoping to find comfort and peace because she lost her friend and she had nowhere else to turn. It's a beautiful story from there. The how this young dancer not only found the church that morning, but she found that group of women that she awkwardly met, and then she found Jesus. She became a Christian, she made changes in her life, and eventually she even became a group leader of women. And the love that she received on that Saturday morning in a gentleman's club became one who is now dedicated to serve. Our mission here at the Living Stones Church is to cooperate in God's mission of love as we teach and demonstrate ways of Jesus and to invite others into his journey. Jesus said it best in Matthew 25 when he said, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And you know the rest, right? I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Thank you. Good morning. I just noticed something, and uh, since our theme here is service this morning, I'm going to ask a personal request from each one of us this morning. If anybody know my wife, Deb, please, and I'm going to say this again, please, do not tell her that I got a striped shirt on. I mean, excuse me, a plaid shirt and striped socks. <laughs> Please. Because the first thing she would say is, you don't match. <laughs> Amen. The first thing I want to do this morning, the second thing really is I want to lift up a special prayer for the Barringtons. I want to lift up a special prayer for all of the people that's in the, in the path of that powerful hurricane Irma this morning, but specifically, I want to lift up my daughters. I got two of my daughters are currently in Jacksonville, Florida, and three of my grandchildren. Uh, so Janelle and Trina and Madison, Michael and Maxwell. So just it, pray for them, amen? In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, the Apostle Paul writes, we are called to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building of the body of Christ. Amen? So that's what we do in Elder 101. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm learning right now, how to be an elder. We are called to work for the salvation of everyone or anyone that is lost. So many, come, so many people come in those doors Sunday after Sunday. They don't know the Lord. They're looking for the Lord. And where are they going to see the Lord at? They're going to see it in us. They're going to see, first of all, they're going to see it in our ministry team. That's our full-time staff members. That's our volunteer group. And that's our elders. They're going to see it in Randy. They're going to see it in Lowell. They're going to see it in Chuck. They're going to see it in Jeff. They're going to see it in the gyms. If there's anything left, they might see a little bit in me. Amen? <laughs> but they, th this is what they're looking for. 
They're looking for someone to take them by the hand and tell them the story of Christ. See, I wasn't already saved, amen? About 38 years ago, my mother-in-law used to come over because I didn't go to church on Sunday because my head was bad. So I was laying up in the bed recuperating. And she would come up to the, she would come up to the steps and yell up there at the highest voice. She had a, a voice that was so shrill that you couldn't ignore. She would say, Stevie! That's what they called me. She called me Stevie because I acted like a little boy, amen? She said, Stevie, if you don't come down there right now and let me talk to you, I'm going to come up there. I didn't want that. The second thing we're called to do is to build up the saints. You know, when we, when we first come into the knowledge of Christ, we're like clay. And the ministry team are like the potter. We're on the wheel. They're shaping us. They're making sure they're taking out the rough edges in our lives. They're shaping us into the image of God. Not their image, not my image, but the image of God. This is what their whole objective is. The third thing that in Elder 101 we're called to do is, is to feed the flock. Not feed them donuts. Not feed them, Angie was talking about, we're going to have lunch next week. Not that kind of sustenance. She's talking about the word of God. And, you know, people, I don't know about you, but I don't listen to what, I don't listen when people talk about the word of God. I don't listen. I look. I look and see if their life are, if their life measure up to what they're saying. You know what I'm saying? You know, are you saying one thing but living another kind of life? And I don't know where you came from, but where I come from, they call that a hypocrite. And I don't go for no hypocrites. If you're going to tell me one thing, be what you told me that you are. Amen? The last thing that we do is we're supposed to strengthen the families. You know, and I said earlier I wasn't always saved. But, and, and because of that today, my heart breaks for men. My, my heart breaks for absent men. Men that are not here this morning. Their wives are here. Their children are here. But they're absent. They're like I was 38 years ago, laying up in the bed with a bad head. But what happened is maybe we need somebody like my mother-in-law <laughs> to come over there and yell upstairs, come on down here. Be the kind of man that the Lord calls out to be. Because I'm telling you, without men in the ministry, the church is absent of something that is so powerful that it's hard to sustain itself. I'm, this is not a knock on women. I, you know, women are wonderful, but women are not men. Amen? They're not. You know, if you take the man out of the family, you take the man out of the church, that means that the man is not active in the community. That means that the man is not active in the city. That means that the man is not absent anywhere anywhere. So I just want to encourage the men that I see this morning. My, when I see Guy, I say amen. When I see Brandon, I say amen. When I see Jeff, I say amen. When I see Paul, I say amen. I'm not, I'm not going to leave, I'm not going to just keep reading that because I'm going to leave somebody out, but when I see the men of Livingstone standing up and being men, I can only say amen. Thank you.
Stephen, I'm not going to say anything to Deb, but honestly, a plaid shirt and striped socks don't bother me at all. I think that's pretty fashionable. But, <laughs> but then I wore a black and brown shoe to work one day, so hey. <laughs> I think Jim Ruth was very generous in his comments about me, but I did repent of working for the IRS six years ago this month <laughs> and don't intend to go back. There's a passage in Matthew chapter 26 that's always impressed me because I think as I read this story that I would be in the wrong crowd at that time. It begins in verse 6 where it says, While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. And when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, as I get older, I think a lot about what kind of legacy I'm going to leave behind. Uh, probably my children remember me. I'm thinking probably until the insurance money runs out. I think my grandchildren will probably remember me too. But beyond that, it'll be someday down the road, if time continues, that somebody will find a picture and say, who is this? And how does he fit into the picture? And then they'll discard it. But this woman who served Jesus has a legacy of this story being told as a memorial for her for the rest of time until Jesus returns, because she served. Now, I would have been in the wrong crowd in this story because I would have said, you know, that perfume cost a lot of money. Look at all the things that we could have done with that money. Spent it much more wisely than this waste of extravagance on one individual because we're looking at the bottom line and we get a little self-righteous. But the fact of the matter is, we get caught up in possessions. You know, I remember in December of 2008, Diane and I made our last mortgage payment. And when I saw the check had cleared, I looked at that house and I said, this is mine. I own this. This is permanently my estate. But the fact of the matter is, it's not. I'm just a tenant there. And eventually somebody else is going to live in that house if nothing happens to it. And eventually that car that we pay off that we think is now mine is going to be at the mechanics with Lowell <laughs> and costing somebody a lot of money. Or that big screen TV that we enjoyed watching the game on last night is eventually going to burn out and the warranty will be expired. And those things... We're not going to leave to the next generation that will endure in any sort of sense. But some things will endure, 
when we make service our legacy. A few, about a year or so ago, somebody posted on Facebook a picture, and they sent it to me as a message on Facebook, but I think everybody could see it. It was a picture of me over 40 years ago stand, uh, sitting on a roof, uh, applying shingles to a roof uh, at the home of Amos and Joanne Rice, who were members of the congregation here. And it just jarred a memory in me uh, of that uh, event and that act of service, not so much my service, but we, Amos and Joanne had a son named Gary, and he and his wife were newly married, and they were having some issues, and they were riding to this building here to talk with one of our elders at the time, whose name was Ward Sullivan, and on the way over, they were coming south on Olive Street from their home, and a woman in a Corvette crossed the center line and hit them head on. And it killed Gary's wife. And it put Gary in a hospital for at least three months uh, where he was in a coma for several months. And eventually, uh, I mean, he, he was paralyzed from the waist down. He could no longer walk. And that necessitated, because he was now going to go back home and to live with Amos Joanne, uh, that they had, they got some insurance money out of this that would provide for Gary's uh, medical expenses, but they needed to renovate their house to accommodate a wheelchair and someone who had lost their mobility and all the uh, medical necessities that he had. And I remember that men from this church went and donated their time and their talents, and I remember Helen Richards' husband, Don, uh, was leading that effort because Don knew how to do this stuff and a fellow by the name of Jack Shuck uh, who also was there and some of us uh, people who didn't know what we were doing but were willing to volunteer they taught us how to put on shingles but when I think back on it over 40 years that legacy of Don Richards and Jack Shuck and those other guys uh, lives on as a memory and so it is as we're talking about how serving interacts with our faith and our position here in the congregation, I would suggest to you that if you're here this morning simply out of an obligation, that you've come here to go to church, and I can check that off because now I've done my Christian duty for a week or maybe two or three or a month, that that's not how you fit into the kingdom of God. When you get involved in serving, when you make the mission of this congregation your mission to serve those here on the south side of South Bend, then that service is going to hinge you to this church. And it's no longer you're coming here to make a check mark, but you're coming here because you're part of the kingdom of God. You're part of the body of Christ here. And that's our message to you this morning. I love all of these guys. I know you do too. And you got some extra in the 11 o'clock service from Steve. They didn't get 9.30. <laughs> that, but that's good. But in the 9.30 service, I also messed up and didn't conclude with a prayer and allow the band to get back up here, and I'm not going to repeat that. So I'm going to ask you to bow with me, please. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the great blessings that you have given us, and I thank you, Father, for this church and for the opportunity to serve that you've given us, Father. And I pray that we will seize that opportunity and that we will serve and that we will live out your mission in our community. We ask this blessing, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.